You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good Monday morning to you. Uh, this is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. My name is Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and attorney. I'm your host for the show. Um, we will be spending the next hour discussing land surveying uh, and land surveyors. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at America's Web Radio. Dot com. Uh, you can also find out more about me at my personal website, www.lucasandcompany.com. Uh, check out our resources uh, page for uh, free materials that might be of interest to you if you're a surveyor or a landowner. Um, I'm real fortunate this uh, this morning. We are real fortunate this morning to have uh, to have a guest on the program. Uh, this gentleman probably. Uh, does not need much of an introduction uh, for anyone who is familiar with uh, land surveying in the United States. Um, this morning, I have uh, have Gary Kent, and uh, Gary is um, in his 37th year with Schneider Geomatics in Indianapolis, uh, having transitioned to part-time status this year. He also provides training, consulting, and expert witness services as manager of Meridian Land Consulting, LLC. He has served on the Indiana State Board of Registration for Professional Surveyors since 2004. He is a past president of uh, both ACSM, which is now uh, NSPS. That was the American Congress on Surveying and Mapping, which is now the National Society of Professional Surveyors, and the Indiana Society of Professional Surveyors. Gary has presented programs on boundary law, easements, rights-of-way, surveying standards and practice, and leadership in all 50 states. Uh, Gary, uh, thank you so much for being on the program. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's uh, interesting times we're in. (laughs) They are. They are. Uh, One of the things... uh, I guess that you know, you're acutely aware of, and you know I know I am. You do seminar presentations. I do seminar presentations. But that's kind of uh, that's kind of ground to a to a standstill, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Uh, I've been fortunate, at least up to this point. Uh, nothing that was on my schedule has been flat canceled. They have all been postponed, but we'll see if that holds up. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, it's been interesting, and I, I suspect some things will go to uh, online, uh, at least in the, in the interim. Yeah, uh, you know that's that's interesting. Um, we, we've we've discussed uh, on some of our programs. We've discussed uh, the possibility of doing uh, you know online some kind of you know, Zoom or you know go to meeting kind of thing, but. You know, one of the one of the inherent problems with that, at least from what I'm seeing and from from my perspective, is who wants to sit in front of a who wants to sit in front of a uh, a computer screen for a, you know for an eight hour seminar? I mean, how's that going? Yeah, be? yeah, I think that's going to be a problem as we uh, as we go forward. People are going to have to figure out, uh, or you know, providers, I guess, and are, are going to have to figure out how to deliver this in a way that's um, you know, meaningful to people and lets them, uh, lets the surveyors get their hours, but without, uh, 
boring them or or uh, you know making a just just uh, kind of un- incomprehensible over a long period of time. So it, right. it's going to be really interesting. And I, I know there are some people working on on those types of issues, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see what it, what it looks like going forward. But uh, I, yeah. I suspect things are going to change quite a bit. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, listen. Um, what, one of the questions. Um, it's it's sort of a, a repetitive question that I like to ask all of my surveying guests on the show is um, because I think it's I think it's so interesting and fascinating. Uh, tell us. Uh, tell the the audience how you how you initially got into surveying. Well, it's an interesting story. I uh, I graduated out of high school here in Indianapolis and uh, went to my first year of a small private uh, college in North Georgia, Berry College, and was, uh, I loved, loved you went to, hold on, hold on, hold on a second, you went to Berry College? I did. I did not know that. Did you, did you graduate from there? I didn't. I, uh, I went there for one year, uh, majoring in physics, and um, I came to the conclusion that I really, at that point, did not want to teach, didn't, wasn't really interested in the research side. And, um, and so I transferred up to uh, Purdue. I had a grandfather who was a civil engineer, uh, quite well-known, actually, as president of the American Public Works Association, I think, in 1954, and uh, worked, for, worked uh, in the same job his entire life. And when he retired, he worked for, uh, I think, World Health and such. And he, he was a civil engineer, and I decided I wanted to go into civil engineering. And, um, and the logical choice for me in Indiana was to go to Purdue. So I went up there for my sophomore year, and my very first class that you had to take or that, that I took in civil at that point was CE 200, which was serving. And my professor uh-huh. was, uh, was G. Warren Marks, uh, who had a Ph.D. and was uh, teaching at Purdue at the time, uh, extremely professional, very well spoken, and uh, I loved the class. And I said, you know what, this this is what I want to do. And Purdue at that point had a, a four year degree program, and so I switched into that program and uh, and have stuck with it ever since. That's kind of all she wrote. <laughs> yeah, uh, Barry College. You mentioned that. I uh, just to back up uh, a second. Uh, I have uh, two nephews and a niece who, who went to Berry College. And, Is that uh, right? I guess, yeah, yeah it's a, a small world, right? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it, just a small regional college at the time, but it has become very, very well known and highly, uh, highly respected. Yeah, it is. And uh, um, another interesting thing is, isn't it the landmass wise? Isn't it the largest um, uh, university or college in, in the country? Yeah, I believe that's correct. Their their campus is something like thirty thousand acres. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, they, they need a survey. They need a survey program, right? <laughs> I, I think I think they do. Yeah, yeah. We used to ride do uh, ride motorcycles uh, up in the mountain. There's an actual small mountain range that's on campus, and we would go up there at, at night and ride along a a, um, a fire trail. Uh, we had a blast that year. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Uh, we we visited the campus just a, um, I think, 
I think we just visited it, but we were over, you know, in the Rome, uh, I guess, uh, in the Rome area there, visiting my my brother and his family, and we visited the campus. And of all things, we go up, uh, we go up this road. I, I don't know the campus well, but we went up this road, kind of the top of a mountain, and uh, uh, we're driving around this barn and and came around the corner, and this. Uh, they're giving uh, this this cow is giving birth to this calf, <laughs> and they're over there helping it. I mean, the the birth is happening right then and there, you know. Right there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've, yeah ne- I've never seen that before. Yeah, yeah they had a, a working farm, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things see, uh, that I ran into there. The the, the student. Uh, the student union is actually uh, named uh, the Cranard Center, which was a family out of Indianapolis. That was just bizarre when I went down there. I'm like, Wait a minute, Cranard? Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. yeah. Small world. It is a small it is. world. It truly uh, is. So, so you went to you went to Purdue, and um, what what what? Not to try to date you here, but what, what time period are we talking about here? Yeah, you can date me. I graduated. I graduated in 1976. Okay. So my, my professors were um, uh, John McIntyre in particular, but also uh, Ken Curtis, who was instrumental actually in, I think, the founding of even ACSM and ISPLS, um, uh, Lassie Kivioya and, uh, and Warren Marks were my, uh, my professors. Uh, and it was, uh, was a really good experience. I, I enjoyed all of it. And... Um, uh, I, actually, Daryl Dean, who we'll be talking about, I think uh, he was there working on his master's, I think, at the time. Daryl's from West Virginia and is a forester, but a really, really good guy. I took a tree ID course from him, dendrology course, which was one of the favorite courses I ever took, I think. I think he was working on his uh, doctoral thesis. Uh, uh, I, well, we... Actually, you're right. You're, you are correct. He was working on this doctorate, yeah. Okay, and it, so at that point in time, um, uh, Purdue, the Purdue program's you know, cranking along here, I'm assuming, right? Uh, doing pretty well? No, about uh, 10 years or probably even more than that now, time flies. Uh, it was unceremoniously uh, dumped without any knowledge of any anyone. It was suddenly uh, somehow somebody found out. And word chased around the country, you know, nowadays in a matter of minutes, and um, a lot of people very upset about it. I got a hold of the head of civil engineering and the uh, dean of student, or the dean of engineering at the time. Both of them are gone, and uh, the dean finally agreed to appoint um, kind of a high-level committee of of, uh, some staff and former students' alums to come up with a plan to continue the program, but most assuredly, she said, not in the form that it is. Uh, and, of course, the problem was that we all like to think that universities are these, you know, altruistic entities of education and such, but, you know, the reality is they're business. And, um, yeah. and everybody, everybody knows that surveying programs do not generate a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of students. So we came up with what we felt was uh, actually we had um, uh, people come in from all over the country, literally, um, New Jersey, Texas, California, uh, twice to Purdue, all on our own dime and such, and and came up with a plan that we thought was a very workable plan and uh, gave it to the dean 
and um, and never hurt Boo, never hurt yeah. Ward One. Uh, so it, 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 the program then continued as an option, and it is actually, I think, still an option. It's not really a program. It's an option in civil engineering, but the, oh. um, the courses have been, uh, so I, I don't want to say watered down, but you know what used to be three courses have been combined into one and things like that. So it's not really a valid uh, program, unfortunately, from a standpoint of our board and the, and the necessary education. I think the last group has kind of, the, the last group that we would have considered uh, qualifying under that education program has graduated. All right, guys. So, but but back, when you, back when you were going there, it was a pretty viable program? or It, it was an extremely viable program, and um, there were very uh, uh, significant uh, graduates all across the country. Uh, it, it was, it was. I don't believe the first program that came out. That uh, I don't remember where that was. Whether that was uh, Cal State Fresno or Fresno State or uh, or Ohio State, but it was one. It was a highly thought of uh, bachelor's program at the time. Yeah. All right, guys, you ready for your yeah. first break? Okay. Is your thinking lightweight, easy right. to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Program. All surveying anywhere in the United States. All right, and we're back. Yeah, I, I think you might be able to get. In fact, I'm pretty sure you could get one at Purdue. Um, but I, I, who potentially was going to do that, decided not to. All right, here we go, guys. Wanted to do their doctoral on. I they were contacted by people all over the country. Yeah. Um, hey, come over here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we're back. Is is it us? Are we live? You guys are live. Okay, great. Uh, welcome back, folks. Uh, Jeff Lucas here with my guest uh, Gary Kent, and we were continuing the discussion to a certain extent. Uh, over the break, uh, Gary, I want to back up a little bit, uh, looking at your bio and uh, just um, uh, and us talking about it. So, tell us uh, you're you're transitioning from Schneider, where you were for 37 years. Uh, you know, one of the godfathers there, I imagine. And now you've got Meridian Land Consulting. What's Meridian Land Consulting all about? Well, I uh, I wanted to uh, create an entity that I could. 
um, you know, kind of a limited liability entity that I could uh, continue or that, that I could run, do the seminars that I do. I, as, as you know, Jeff, I do a lot of seminar work around the country, and I wanted to create an entity that I, I would do that through rather than just as a sole proprietor. I also do uh, expert witness work and some consulting, and so I, I wanted uh, to create a an entity that I could do that. So I created Meridian uh, Land Consulting and LLC to do that. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm not doing any surveying uh, per se. <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, that's that's your corporate shield there then, right? Yeah, exactly. For liability yeah, purposes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you do get uh, you do do a lot of uh, seminars. All fifty states. You've been to you've been to every state in the United States. I have. I've presented a program. Um, actually, I think multiple programs in uh, every single state. Yes. Really. Uh, <laughs> some of those had some of those had to have been. Uh, pretty tiny little uh, little conferences, right? <laughs> like Rhode yeah, Island. Yeah, some of and... them. Uh, some of them are are, are pretty small, but uh, but they're all enjoyable. And you know, I would go places. I would have uh, somebody ask me, "Are you gonna? Gosh, you're you know, are you gonna know anybody there?" And I I often would say, "Well, you know, I, yeah, I think I'll, I'll know a couple people." And and inevitably, inevitably, you know, I, I end up knowing a dozen people, or in some places, I know dozens of people, and. It's always fun, and and every every conference is different, and every conference is enjoyable. Even the even the really small ones, I have enjoyed every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, you know, my the, the my most favorite uh, conference to go to, or one in particular, or or uh, the you know, uh, or a conference, a recurring conference that is just you know, really really good. You you really like going to? Yeah, I, you know. Um, I've always liked. I, I I'll be going back there uh, this fall. I think it's in the fall. Uh, California uh, and Nevada frequently had a joint convention, and I think uh, this year uh, Arizona's in on that one. And that, that's always a fun one to go to. It, uh, it it's in Vegas this year, but it was often in Reno, and uh, I always enjoyed that one. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to single out, but I, I have people ask me sometimes. You know, gosh, who who are the really great conferences? And uh, as I said, I've enjoyed every one of them. I, I do think, uh, you know, Wisconsin puts on a really really good program, and and that may be partially, uh, you know, University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point helps uh, run that. Or that's a very well organized and a and a probably probably. Unquestionably, one of the largest in the country. Um, New York, I've been there many times. They have a great conference. Pennsylvania has a good one. Uh, Illinois has a, a large uh, conference that's well run. And actually, of all things, Indiana has a, a large conference, probably in the top uh, six or seven in attendance. But, um, you know, I've been to, it, it really it doesn't matter. I've been to Tennessee, I've been to um, Mississippi, I've been to Texas, and uh, Utah. I, I actually have enjoyed every single one of them, and uh, and I, you know, I have to say, I think they're all well run, um, especially when you consider how many of them, especially with the smaller states, are pretty much doing it on their own, and uh, and you know, they do they do a good job. It's uh, it's fun to go and meet people and and uh, just be engaged with what's going on. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you on, on, on basically everything you said there. And one of the things I was always uh, just, uh, you, you know, from being from the southeast down here, the uh, the conferences are generally smaller, a um, couple of hundred, three hundred uh, attendees at a conference is, is usually considered pretty pretty big. But uh, even during the downturn that we had, you know, 2008 through 14. I was I was just so impressed um, uh, going to going to Illinois and they would have uh, not just to single them out like you, you you mentioned there's very other very large conferences across the country but um, uh, going to Illinois and, and a thousand a thousand surveyors showing up I mean that was just uh, absolutely mind-boggling to me and uh, in Indiana too, Indiana, Wisconsin, uh, those other uh, other states uh, in, up in that region of the country, and uh, I was, so I was always impre- I was always impressed by that. But yeah, uh, you go to some of these places, and um, you know, you get twenty five people show up, and you know, that, there's your conference. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and it's you know, and it's just as as good as the bigger ones, you know, and uh, uh, it's. And just as fun. In fact, uh, more fun sometimes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a th- that's something that impressed me about California too. Local chapters, I'm sure, have invited you out to uh, to just they'll put on their own little conference there. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've done that several times in California. In fact, yeah. And that's, uh, I've done that's that, very. I think I've I've done that in uh, Pennsylvania also. And that's very encouraging to see local chapters. You know have a hundred people show up for a little conference like that i mean that's you don't you just you don't see that just anywhere no and uh and that's good you know because they know what they want and they're uh they're out getting it done mm-hmm. yeah uh, we uh, had talked about uh we talked about purdue a little bit um uh, during the first segment and um you mentioned john mcintyre and uh, uh daryl dean mr dean um, I uh, I think I was at your Indiana conference one year, and you know how they have the you know the books out there for for yeah. auction, you know to to uh, generate some uh, some money. So I saw this little I saw this little publication uh, by the ISPLS. It's got a little orange. It's got an orange cover to it. One of one of the are you familiar with this thing? Establishing boundaries yeah, yeah. by unwritten methods in the land surveyor. By yep. Daryl Dean and John McIntyre. Why didn't y'all put a, here? Why didn't y'all put a date on this thing? <laughs> you know, and that's funny, Jeff, because there is no date on that, and uh, there have been a series of those, and um, uh, they were ISPLS publications. And this one, as you know, was really part of uh, was of Daryl's, I think, PhD. And um, I, I don't know why there's no date on there. That that would have been in the I would say seventies. Maybe seventy-seven realm is one that uh-huh. would have been. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, read something uh, out of here, if you don't mind. Uh, can I read sure. something to you? Uh, I thought Please. it was interesting. This is like uh, it, it's in the still in the preface. It's on like page one of the preface. Mm-hmm. Surveyors make so-called quasi-judicial decisions when he decides such items as a stone is the original stone that a fence intersection is the best evidence of an obliterated corner or that a north bearing and a description meant parallel to the east boundary of the section. 
most of these decisions are never questioned, and if so, never go to court and become final. The surveyor, therefore, makes the final decision in most boundary cases. In reality, these are final judicial decisions. The only factor which makes them quasi-judicial is that they are subject to review and possibly change by the courts if a case goes to court. Um, there's a lot packed in there. Uh, I'll just, I want to ask you, what, what's your, you've probably read that before. I mean, what's, what's your oh, yeah, reaction yeah. to that, that statement? Yeah, that um, statement? you know, it, it's actually uh, not dissimilar from what Cooley has said, uh, or what Cooley said in 1881, which is, um, uh, you know, essentially if the parties acquiesce to what the surveyor does, and I, and I think there's some there's some background there, and that is that you know the average person thinks that surveyors decide where boundary lines are, and um, and that uh, and that a surveyor's marker is the same as ownership, and that a deed is the same as ownership, uh, which is which is one reason I'm telling surveyors be you know be very cautious about setting points out there. Uh, because you can tell them that's not the corner. You can tell them that's not what they own to, uh, not, not that it's not the corner. It is the corner of something, but, but you can tell them they don't own to that, but they think they do. And, uh, right. and so, uh, so what happens is I think uh, surveyor or, uh, uh, property owners think that surveyors are pretty much the final say. Un- they understand they can go to court, but they still think that surveyors are deciding where the boundary is. And uh, and if uh, if the the two affected parties are both have that attitude, then essentially you know I am deciding where the boundary is because they're going to accept it. And uh, and as you know, what Cooley said, okay, was, Jeff, uh, surveyors in, act in a quasi judicial capacity with the acquiescence of the parties. Jeff, so, uh, I, I think what they're saying something very similar. I think. Yeah, we, we I think we got to take a break here, Gary. We'll be back with Gary after this break. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Absolutely. Go to quickstakes. Business is coming back and... Are you prepared? Have you got your markers and quick stakes? If not, get them. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Grid Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes. Your bike-friendly steak. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. This is uh, Jeff Lucas. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, I have a guest uh, this morning, uh, uh, Gary Kent, um, um, surveyor, um, um, seminar presenter, and uh, all-around nice guy. Gary, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Uh, We were... uh, Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, We were um, discussing... Uh, this little treatise by uh, Daryl Dean and John McIntyre that was uh, a publication of the Indiana Society of Professional Land Surveyors, and just read I just read one one paragraph to you, which was uh, packed with a lot of information. One, one of the things that um, uh, I wanted to get your reaction to a couple of things. Uh, one of the things that I think makes these uh, makes surveyor decisions. Um, Final, as as uh, as Dean, uh, Dina McIntyre said, final judicial decisions is that how can if if somebody doesn't like a survey decision, some landowner, let's say maybe even the client doesn't like the surveyor's decision, how how does that person get that surveyor's decision overturned? Well, they. Uh um, they they uh, they can obviously ask the court to overturn it. Uh, I have, uh, you know, and and perhaps short of that, they could get their own surveyor, and uh, and if their own surveyor disagreed, uh, they uh, hopefully the two surveyors would sit down, and and perhaps uh, the second surveyor might persuade the first surveyor that uh, you know to rethink what what he or she had done. So, you know, that would be the ideal thing. Uh, but you know, reality is that uh, um, you know when they when someone doesn't like where someone has placed a boundary, they pretty much have two choices, and that is uh, to come to some sort of agreement or to uh, litigate it. And uh, you know, Cooley Cooley said as much, and uh, and gosh, you know, that's well documented in all kinds of places. But uh, you know, hopefully, people can come to some sort of agreement. I. Uh, you know, along those lines, and I'm sure you're you're familiar with this, but Curtis Brown in that in in that uh, little treatise that he wrote, or right right very near the end of his life in the ACSM Journal, when he was talking about uh, rethinking what he had uh, taught and written about his entire life, um, uh, commented on uh, on that on that very same issue. Uh, that uh, you know, people can litigate. People can come to an agreement, and uh, and he even he even said something really interesting, which was this idea of um, essentially shouldn't all boundaries be where everybody thinks they are, you know, or where the occupation is, and they, and he even made some allude, uh, alluded to the fact that, and I've not looked into this, that ACSM apparently had a policy at one point that it would be desirable if written title matched uh, lines of, you know, agreed lines of possession in all cases, which is a, a really an intriguing thought. Well, uh, yeah, you, you, you said a lot there. Um, um, I, I want to unpack a couple of things. So, well, one of the one of the 
problems that, that I see with getting a surveyor's decision overturned is, yeah, you can litigate, but who has the money to litigate when there's no possibility of, of getting your money back, even if you win? I mean... Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, that's something I talk about in my seminars is that, you know, in theory, there are two choices, agreement or litigation. But um, but I think it's important that people understand, you know, how much that litigation costs. So in, a, in a city of any size, uh, the attorney that you need is probably billing out at, at, at least $600 an hour. And um, and so your average person doesn't have that kind of money rattling around their pocket. If you're going to get through trial court, it's probably going to uh, you know it's probably going to run you sixty thousand dollars. And uh, and most homeowners don't have that kind of money rattling around in their pockets. So uh, so the reality is that when there is a, a problem between two two landowners, uh, in most cases they only have one choice, which is to to work out some sort of agreement, which is what I think surveyors could be very helpful in doing, uh, rather than just uh, say, you know, as Brown said, and, and you recall, Judge said, you know, I've spent my, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I've spent my whole life uh, telling surveyors to basically survey the written title, and if, if there's some conflict, you know, get an attorney. And, uh, yeah. and in, in that in that last article he wrote, he said, essentially, he said, I'm thinking I might have been wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I know the article you're talking about. Um, land Surveyor's Liability to Unwritten Rights. Exactly. Curtis Brown, yeah. June 1979. Yeah. Uh, I had, you know Mike Palomari, right? Yeah, I know Mike, yeah. Yeah, I had him, he, he came on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about his book, The Kurt Brown Chronicles, and... Yep, we, we I have talked a copy about that. Of it. Yeah, we talked about that article. Uh, the other problem I see, okay, uh, these aren't um, a boundary dispute case, as you know, isn't a personal injury case. But there's no, there's no attorney's going to come on board and and take it at, on a contingency basis because there's nothing to be gained, and you're going to be you're going to be uh, you're going to so you're footing the bill yourself. There's there's not an insurance company that's going to. Uh, you know, come in and foot the bill for the litigation as in a personal injury case. But the other problem, and I know you see this, the other problem is um, who do you get as an attorney? I mean, this, these aren't personal injury cases. This isn't uh, an area of the law that attorneys work on all the time. Who are you going to call? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I used to tell people, um, you know, you need a good attorney. And then I realized that people would would go get the attorney that did their divorce, and uh, right. and then I used exactly. you know I, 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 yeah and and then I used to say uh, you need a uh, you know a good uh, 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 and I used to say you, you need a uh, real estate attorney, and then I realized they would run out and get somebody who specializes in doing zoning, and uh, <laughs> and so now I'll, exactly. I'll tell people you need a good real estate attorney who is familiar with boundaries. And I and I tell them that that person is going to be expensive. I mean, I, I, I there's one here in Indianapolis who I think is is probably um, the, maybe the best in the city. And uh, and I referred someone to him uh, a few years ago, and they called me back and said I I can't I can't uh, hire him. And I said why not? And they said he wants a twenty thousand dollar retainer. 
and um, yeah. and so it, it, which goes to the exact same thing you're saying is that there's no money in it for them, and and so you know, no, you're gonna you're gonna pay me up front. Right, right, yeah, that's so. Um, de facto judge and jury uh, is is the land surveyor because there are people you you know as well as I do. There are some landowners out there who have the wherewithal to uh, t- to prosecute uh, a, a a boundary dispute case or defend a boundary dispute case. They do exist. They happen. You read the cases. I read the cases. There's obviously cases out there, but. Yeah. Uh, by and large, uh, the surveyor is de facto judge and jury, which goes right up against, you know, when I, when I first started doing seminars, and I started talking to surveyors about being de facto judge and jury. You know, surveyors at that time, I think things have changed a little bit. That's really what I want to ask you. Uh, surveyors at that time would, would vehemently deny that they're judge and jury over anything to do with the boundary that they were just basically following brown i'm just putting the i'm putting the deed on the ground have you seen any changes in that attitude over the years um you know i've talked a lot about it you've talked a lot about it and written a lot about it i know that you know john stall i think talks about it. there are some of us out there talking about it and uh and and one of the things uh, that Curtis Brown said, as you well know, in that in that same article, uh, was there is nothing to prevent a surveyor from giving an opinion as to ownership. And uh, and you know I'll, I'll tell people that in programs, and they you know they all look at me and they shake their head. And uh, but Brown in that article said you know surveyors should be. Uh, educated, they should be knowledgeable in this, and uh, and one of the arguments I will make in support of that <clears throat> is that, as you know, the uh, rules of evidence, <clears throat> excuse me, the rules of evidence say that an expert can, in fact, give an opinion as to the ultimate issue before the court, assuming they're qualified. And in a boundary dispute, the ultimate issue is not where the deed is. Right. The ultimate issue is who owns what, and, um, you and have, the, rules, you have, the rules of evidence say that I, I can give an opinion on that. Now, you, you know, the attorney on the other side is going to vehemently uh, object to that, but um, you know, I think surveyors should probably talk to their the attorney they're working for about that issue. And uh, uh, I know you've talked at great length about that. Well, yeah, yeah, you brought up uh, that's that's a very uh, interesting point that you're making there. Uh, I know the point you're talking about. It's the ultimate issue rule. And um, yeah, um, the surveyor is now, if the attorney, again, you, you, you touched on this as well, if the attorneys know what they're doing. If the attorneys know what they're doing, they, they understand the rules of evidence. They understand the ultimate issue rule. They understand unless we're trying the title, like in, in an adverse possession case, we're, we're, we're deter- the determination is going to be where's the property line between Brown and, and Smith or between Smith and Jones, uh, not to confuse anybody with Curtis Brown. But, um, yeah, so if I'm an attorney and I know on the other side their expert has um, simply came out and slapped the deed, as, like as I like to say, slapped the deed on the ground. He's just a deed staker. He doesn't know where the property line is, and I'm going to force... Uh, when I'm questioning that uh, that surveyor, 
I'm going to force him to say he has no idea where the property line is. And then if my mm-hmm. surveyor has, has rendered a well-reasoned opinion on where the property line is, he's, he or she will be the only one testifying in court as a surveyor on the ultimate issue in the case. And you're, you're, more, than, you're more than likely going to win the case. I mean, would you not agree with that? I, you know, I, I would agree. I think that should be the case. Uh, I, uh, uh, a, a few years ago, there was a, uh, a lawsuit in, uh, in Indiana here, and you're probably at least somewhat familiar with it, that related to the, the, uh, the delineation between the state's ownership in Lake Michigan and the upland private ownership. Okay, Jeff. And uh, I had written an excellent... Oh, hold, on, hold on, hold on, Gary, hold on. I think we're up against a break. We'll take a break now, folks, and we'll come back on our last segment with uh, Gary Kent. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight... Easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. And want to remind you, business is coming back. And if you're not prepared for it, call Quick Stakes and get your markers and your Quick Stakes so you'll be prepared when you start getting those calls. And you will be getting them pretty soon. That, we think, is going to happen and happen in a big way. You want to be ready, so... uh, Call Quick Stakes and uh, get those markers ordered and your Quick Stakes. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Okay, coming to you, Jeff. In three, two, one, and it's yours. Welcome back, folks. This is Jeff Lucas, uh, host of the Surveyor's Hour here on America's Web Radio. And uh, we're having at least what I consider to be a very interesting discussion with my guest uh, Gary Kent, Gary, right before the break, uh, you had got you were starting off uh, talking about a case uh, in, in, uh, in Indiana uh, relative to um, the demarcation between uh, the sovereign wetlands and and uplands uh, on Lake Michigan. I'm sorry for uh, cutting you short, but can you can you take us back to that? Yeah, uh, it, this was. Uh the, the ordinary high watermark, uh, or the, uh, I should say, the delineation between the state's ownership and navigable waters, uh, it differs from state to state, as, as you well know. And, uh, and in Indiana, it is the ordinary high watermark, uh, in, in all cases except on the Ohio River, which is a special case. But, but that issue had never been litigated, uh, with respect to Lake Michigan, which, uh, which is a little bit different with the Northwest Ordinance and some other things. So, 
uh, that that came to litigation, ended up in the Indiana Supreme Court, and I had written an expert report that that gave my opinion on it, and uh, and the other side, um, you know, uh, accused me of, uh, as I recall, the wording was trying to usurp the court's authority uh, by giving an opinion as to ownership, which I was. It was kind of interesting because I don't think I even used the term ownership in my report. But uh, it also uh, ignored the fact that a qualified expert, in fact, can give an opinion on the ultimate issue. And, uh, and with you know, we're not usurping the court's authority. I mean, this is what an expert does. That's why they hire experts, is to assist the, the trier of fact in understanding a technical issue. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing used to annoy me. It doesn't anymore because that's just attorneys doing their job, you know, trying to discredit exactly. the other side. Uh, but it exactly. was, uh, it was uh, quite interesting and, and uh, uh, you know, gets to this issue of the attorneys have to, uh, have to be, you know, have to understand what an expert can do and cannot do. And one of them is we can give, give that opinion. Yeah, uh, factual opinions. Yeah, that, yes. You yes. don't want to. You don't. You don't want to be telling the judge what the law is, do you? I have Palomary's book here, and uh, I just wanted to. Uh, so I want to go to a couple of passages. Here's the one I think you've been referring to. In my early writings, I generally advocated that surveyors should locate land boundaries in accordance with a written deed. All conveyances based on unwritten rights should be referred to attorneys for resolution. Within the recent years, there have been. Uh, uh, cases, one in particular, wherein surveyors have been held liable for failure to react to a change in ownership created by prolonged possession. The purpose of this paper is to re-examine what the surveyor should do in the event title has been altered by a legal transfer of title by prolonged possession. And I want to skip over to one more thing on the next page over. This is what I... Th- th- I think this gets to the crux of the issue. Here's Here's what he said. Uh, in same article, from my experience, clients uh, with clients, very few know that there is a difference between the two. Most clients want to know what they own, and he was saying difference between. I don't read the whole passage there. Difference between what their title documents say and what they own. From my experience with clients, very few know the difference between the two: what my title documents say and what I actually own. Most clients want to know what they own. What do you What do you think? Uh, well, we've been talking about that. And I guess that's what we're talking about here. Is, yeah. Um, if that's a, yeah, if, that, I, I, if, if that's what they think we're doing, why, why aren't we doing it? Yeah, I think that's a you know that's something that I tell surveyors to think about because you know I I will ask surveyors in a seminar. I'll say, uh, work with me on this. Uh, what do you think? the average owner thinks we are telling them when we do a survey what does that owner think we are telling them and 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 to a person everybody's like yeah well they they actually think that we're telling them what they own and then i'll say now uh and and most of our you know and 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 what we've been trained and such is that what we're doing is that what you would say you're doing and and to a person everybody's like oh no we can't do that you know, well, which is you know, which is part of the discussion, but but then I follow that thread. I mean, okay, so wait a minute. We all sitting in here know that these people think we're telling them what they own, but we all know that's not what we're doing. That seems like a problem to me, you know, because we're not talking about it, right? We don't tell them right. ahead of time 
uh, by the way, you know, I'm not telling you what you own because they'd say, well, I'll get a surveyor who will because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. So there's a huge disconnect, and I think that, um, you know, even even Cooley talked about it in 1881. He talked about this same issue. So uh, right. um, I, I think we should be taking the bull by the horns. And, uh, you know, Brown said, uh, you didn't read that part, but he said there's nothing that says that a surveyor cannot do that assuming that we are qualified, and, and, and he goes on to talk about, uh, you know, being trained. And I think uh, McIntyre and, uh, and uh, Daryl Dean talked about the same thing, of making sure that we're teaching uh, these, these things, you know, the, 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 uh, un, uh, you know the, the unwritten methods like we're in, in the book, uh, so that yeah. surveyors understand, you know, when a boundary right. may have moved and, and at what point am I safe giving an opinion on that? Well, that kind of goes. Um, yeah, we could talk about this for the, the rest of the, uh, the hour. I did want to touch on the, the standards a little bit. Um, well involved in the when I say the standards, I'm talking about the uh, ALTA NSPS uh, standards practice or detailed standards. Um, but this uh, this is a good segue, and I want I wanted so I wanted to kind of move a little bit um, because there was. And what I was seeing, there was a significant uh, shift, uh, I would say a sea change in the, uh, in the standards in 2011 when the committee, you and the committee, and you can talk about that as much as you want, uh, what the, how you got involved in that, but, well, maybe not as much as you want. We don't have that much time left. But that was, a, in my mind, that was a sea change when you moved from, uh, when when you, uh, the standards started talking about the appropriate boundary law principles, and at the same time, um, um, clarifying the difference between precise measurements and accurate results, can you can you speak to that? Yeah, you know that was a, a kind of a pet peeve of mine. I, I won't say a pet peeve. I, I felt like that 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 issue needed to be clarified. Uh, both for surveyors, and part of the issue was there were people out there who were saying that uh, that a land title survey was not a boundary survey, and so uh, so we we have to address that. It is a boundary survey, and so in order to uh, clarify that, we started using you know we said no the appropriate boundary law principles you know so so this is a boundary survey. That's what you do when you do a boundary survey, and uh, and at the same time. Uh, we wanted to explain um, to, uh, you know, probably to some extent to help surveyors make sure they were understanding what we were asking, what we weren't, but also to consumers of land title surveys that, hey, there, there is a, there's a complete difference between precise and accurate. Now, I can, I can do a perfectly, you know, I, I can, the example I always give is I, I can stake a house and uh, and I check the diagonals, and it's it's perfect, and the, the math works, the the plans worked, everything's wonderful. But I staked it on the wrong lot, right? So right. so it's highly precise. I mean the the right. you know it, it's highly precise, but it's completely wrong. And we wanted to make sure people understood that that can happen. So uh, making good measurements is is not what a boundary is about. In fact, I would say making measurements is, is not at all what a boundary is about. Measurements are, are, are uh, you know, uh, 
uh, tools of boundaries, not, not right. in most cases, not the boundary. Right, Ev- evidence. Uh, it's, it's evidence they, to be used. Right, correct. They, they, are, they are evidence. And, uh, you know, in some cases, that's all you've got. All you have are the measurements. That, that's a, maybe a cutout that was not monumented. But, but in most cases, the, the, you know, the measurement is, in essence, uh, measure this distance and direction, and that will put you in the vicinity of where the corner actually is. Wasn't it A.C. Mulford uh, in that little treatise he did? Uh, I think Robillard was uh, instrumental in getting that thing republished. But uh, Mulford, didn't he say something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing now, um, I would rather have a somewhat suspect measurement to the correct corner than have very precise measurements to uh, a position that isn't the corner (laughs) or isn't the truth. Yeah, I, I think that was Mulfer, that little book, uh, Boundaries and Landmarks, I think it was called, or something to that effect. But, yeah, I think that was right. Mulfer that said that. Uh, well, okay, you've touched on several things uh, here that I think are, are critically important for the practice and surveyor. One is whether we're surveying deeds or property. You, you touched on the ultimate issue question, um, and, and I think that the ultimate issue question uh, at least, in my opinion, settles the issue. I mean, if, if, we, if we're going to be responsible for the ultimate issue in the case, then we need to be surveying people's property. But um, the title commitment, as you are aware, and, and without being a member of the American Land Title Association, uh, I have the one adopted six seventeen oh six, but I've seen it. I've seen it issued as late as I think uh, just a couple of years ago, but. Um, the the, um, the there's the the survey exception in Schedule B, which is um, oftentimes there, but there's also survey coverage on page one of of the title policy, which essentially, and you're familiar with these terms, uh, the survey coverage doesn't that actually ensure uh, if the survey coverage is enforced or or it not taken out in schedule B with the survey exception where they're going to they're going to exclude anything that a complete and accurate survey would show if they don't exclude it in other words the survey coverage doesn't get excluded in schedule B then uh, aren't they ensuring the title company ensuring the location of a com- of a, a complete and accurate survey of the property yeah, I think they are, uh, you know, you have to read the exception, but it, it says, hey, we're not going to cover boundary line disputes, gaps, overlaps, 30 uh, seconds. Know, encroachments, things like that. So if that gets removed, then then they essentially are, you know, in, in, in a sense, they are ensuring uh, to the survey boundaries. Uh, right. And, and it, you know, it happens kind of in the inverse by removing that exception that, you know, they call it extended coverage. Thirty right. seconds, Jeff. And so, and so, um, we might be down to the last question or two. Um, so, the Alta survey, then the Alta standards are so that the title company will have a survey that it will then uh, that's, uh, that that uh, addresses uh, survey matters, and then aren't are they supposed to now if you they get an alta survey are they supposed to remove the survey exception in schedule b and and ensure I, 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 the boundaries yeah I, I don't think they're supposed to but okay, they wrap it up. have the information they need to remove it if they are asked to 
And that's what usually would happen, as that's why the survey would get ordered, is because the lender or and or the buyer are planning on requesting that Wrap that exception be removed and that they get that coverage. I think we're about out of Gary, thank you so much. I think we're out of time. Thank you so much for being on the program. And I'll be talking to you later. Uh, folks, that thank good, you. Jeff. Thank All you right. very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.